Welcome to the Pace Moments Leaders in Business podcast. Here we interview thought leaders about finance trends, the evolving role of finance, and how our profitability analytics framework can help you. So welcome everybody. Uh, I'm Rafe Lawson, uh, Executive Director of the Profitability Analytics Center of Excellence. And it's my great pleasure to talk today with Edward Roski, Chief Performance Officer of Argono. Uh, he's one of the most interesting people I know, so this should be a, a great uh, chat today. So uh, welcome, Edward. And perhaps we can uh, get started by you're just telling me a little bit about yourself and Argono. Absolutely. I've been in the world of performance management since 1995, long before they even called it that. And that was back in the days of OLAP and decision support, and then eventually business intelligence. I was CEO and founder of an EPM dedicated company called Interrail from 1997 until 2020. And then in 2020, we merged with a few other companies uh, to form Argono. We have grown from just two firms in 2020, um, us and a company called Kest. Uh, we now have 13 companies that have all joined together to make Argono. So we've gone from uh, being a, a mostly North American-based firm to we now have 2,300 people in 39 countries. Uh, I was just informed that uh, we are now the seventh largest technology firm uh, headquartered out of North America. So I am out of a beautiful downtown Plano, Texas. I encourage everyone to go there. And uh, performance management is strong. Our our growth rate over the last two years, uh, just in the EPM space, grew 30% two years ago and 21% last year. So uh, profitability, planning, consolidation, reporting analysis, it's a, it's a place to be. Well, it's certainly an important area and congratulations on the incredible growth of your, your firm. Uh, and now you referred to uh, uh, your, your travels and you know, I know you've consulted uh, all over the world. What are the biggest challenges that the finance departments that you've encountered are facing and how have you addressed those? So, yes, I've traveled to 72 countries at this point and consulted in most of the 72. I even did a webcast from Antarctica last month. But <clears throat> the, the needs in some ways have uh, been an evolution of what they've been doing over the last few years. People always want information faster. They always want the processes to take longer. They always want to be doing more with fewer people. What's been happening lately is the type of questions they've been asking have been changing, where it's gone from what happened, simply let's report an income statement, a, a profit loss statement. Let's tell you the balance sheet, show what the cash flow is. It had been pivoting to let's try and have a budget looking forward. What has been happening lately is people are starting to say, how do I plan for uncertainty? Um, how do I understand all the different routes the company could take and how I will react to each one? It's interesting. One of those things that people used to do was only look at profitability when times were tough. And now they're saying, well, if it turns out this way and the economy does remarkably well, well, what, what are our products we want to be doing more of? What, more, what greater risks can we take with maybe some of the unprofitable products or services or geographies? If times end up being tough, you know, maybe inflation stays high, maybe interest rates skyrocket, maybe we enter a recessionary environment. What are the immediate areas that I need to, to cut um, to make sure that we focus on our core business? 
So it's, it's changed from not just backward looking to forward looking, but also really looking at going beyond just numbers and converting them to a set of potential actions. And then as soon as we realize we're in one of those uncertain scenarios, the world starts to, to coalesce a little bit more, we know exactly what actions we need to take. Yeah, that, that's so important. I mean, we're in such an uncertain business environment. And, you know, it's the old saying, if you have five economists in the room, you'll have seven opinions. <laughs> you know, who knows uh, where, where, where where the economy is going to go now. And doing that scenario playing and planning for uncertainty is, is, is certainly so beneficial for organizations. And that's a great space to, to be in. So uh, on, on a personal level, I know you've written over a dozen books. Uh, I know this one looks smarter than you are with eBase and uh, there's books on planning and analytics and, and, and so on. And um, that, they give people advice and help with software implementation. Uh, what advice would you give companies that want to start implementing our, our PACE framework? Uh, for example, what's the best place to get started or, and, and so on? When I when I first started writing books, and that first look smarter than you are with us based book from two thousand seven was very much a technical book. It was more how you can get the technology to do what you want it to do. As I've, I've been evolving my my authorship co authorship over the last few years, I've transitioned much more into writing about the business side because the technical side keeps getting easier and easier. Uh, the technology becomes less important. Because with, with the cloud, it's easier to get in. Barrier to entry is pretty minimal. Um, all of the modern products are following a common intuitive user interface. So if you can use a mobile device, you can use just about any technology out there. And for that matter, you can even do it in, you know, get started with tools like Excel and then build up from there. So what it's become is a conversion from focusing on the technology side to really understanding the business problems you're trying to answer. So my advice to anybody that wants to implement uh, the PACE framework is begin thinking about what you want to do with profitability, what questions you wish to answer at the end, and of those questions, which ones will drive you to either deeper questions or will drive you to physical actions. Once you design with the end in mind, what will I be doing with this information? It will help really organize up to that point exactly how we get started with the framework, what areas we'll be looking at. So for instance, if you said, well, we're really trying to understand from a geographic standpoint where we're making money, where we're losing money, what's expanding, what's contracting, do you really need to do profitability down to the detailed service or the person manufacturing it or the area that's distributing it? Can't you just focus on basically where that product is being pushed out? So help it define the dimensionality of what you're doing. When you begin implementing the PACE framework, you're going to find that probably three quarters of your time is not spent with your hands on a keyboard. It's really spent discussing with your peers exactly what you want your profitability to look like as you build out that center of excellence. Yeah, that's, I, I couldn't agree more. And, you know, I think so many times practitioners uh, look for a tool to, to, solve their problems and really that's the wrong approach and what you suggest i think is 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 a much better way to do that and that's why the pace framework is exactly that it's a framework and and you know you really as you said need to think about where where you're going so uh, that's that's a, that's a great great insight you shared there so uh what do you see as the top trends for 2023 i'm sure you know, our, our audience is uh 
uh, we'd love to hear your insights on that. It's definitely that planning for uncertainty. Nobody is sure what's going to happen, not just at a macroeconomic level, but over the last few years, it's exposed how interrelated our supply chain is. All it takes is one captain going, I'm going to turn my ship a little bit more left in the Suez Canal. And next thing you know, global goods have stopped shipping. It's also a matter of we have to consider geopolitical risk like we haven't in decades. Uh, what happens if uh, people go, oh, well, you know, war is now a viable alternative. Let's consider what we should do in our areas for going over and taking over another country. And what does that do with our supply chain you know, areas? So it's really about keeping abreast um, analytically of what's happening and then quickly reacting to it. So I see a lot of companies, and they call, they call it a lot of different things. Some say we are planning for different scenarios. Some say we are doing scenario modeling. Some say uncertainty planning. I was reading an interview the other day with the CFO of Coca-Cola, and he said, we call it scenario management. We decide what scenarios we want to happen in 2023, and then we push towards those scenarios. If they don't happen, we've got some backup options, you know, the path we can go down, but we really, really want to be pushing towards scenario management. I was uh, reading a study the other day in Gartner that said the top two major things happening in finance right now uh, for 2023, one is digital transformation, trying to go from people power to more computer-based power, but uh, the second thing is is really just increasing what you're planning. And to do that, you need a good understanding of where you are. You know, where are we making money? Where are we losing money? The other thing that I, I believe is going to happen in 23 is we've hit the point where artificial intelligence is not just something that will happen at some point in the future, approximately the time we get uh, cars flying, but it's something that's actually realistic. And seeing how that changes our day-to-day -day jobs, uh, where you're not having to go uh, do write your own marketing copy or go write your own articles or go ask your own questions. You're not just looking up anymore, but you're actually getting AI responses to those. I think it's going to change how we do business. I was actually playing around last week where I took a, a set of numbers and fed them to chat GPT and said, can you analyze these numbers and give me three key insights? And I'd never heard of anyone trying it, but I did it. And what it gave me back was pretty spot on. And it was explained in, frankly, a lot better language than you tend to see in footnotes of profit and loss statements. So I, I see that it is not in 23 coming for everyone's jobs. It's going to be the, the greatest tool to expand our abilities since, you know, calculators and computers. Yeah, it's, and, you know, we talked about the evolution of the finance function and, you know, how automation is is eliminating so many entry-level jobs. And, 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 you know, finance really needs to evolve to that business partner role and and provide insights. And, you know, that's exactly what you, you and your firm are, are doing. So, you know, again, kudos, kudos on that. I have another question for you, Edward. As Chief Performance Officer at Argonaut, uh, you're implementing profitability analytics, uh, scenario planning, and performance management. Uh, how are you going to make sure all of those areas work in harmony? We have a project underway right now that I'm heading up. We're calling it Craft Consolidation Reporting and Financial Transformation because all good projects should spell a word. And we have a seven-step process that we are going through just to make sure that all of those areas interrelate, that we don't end up doing a siloed profitability analytics, a siloed scenario planning, siloed performance management, because we're going into an uncertain world. 
And as we go into the future, maybe it's we have meteoric growth. Maybe it's only stratospheric growth. Who knows? Our seven steps are, first of all, we want to have a framework for pulling all three of those areas in together. So we call that our uncertainty planning framework. So step one, define an uncertainty planning framework. Step two, we're identifying our key performance indicators and we're focusing heavily on what are the key leading indicators, not key reporting indicators. So a lot of organizations look at dollars or euros and those are in effect outputs. They're the results of units, rates, drivers, and other key leading indicators. So when we say key performance, it's important to look at those, those KRIs, those key reporting indicators, but also focus on the key leading ones as well. The third step is we are brainstorming our scenarios and then we're also starting to group them together. What are the different areas that we need to plan for? What information do we need to support it? And it's not just scenarios going forward, but it's also understanding the past. So we're doing some analysis, particularly around the areas of profitability to make sure we understand going backwards, what are the services we provide? What are the clients we provide it to? What are the areas that we provide it to? To make sure we understand what's making money and what's not the once we have those scenarios brainstormed we're going to start brainstorming for those kpis what are the kpis specific to the scenarios for instance if one of our scenarios is interest rates are going to stay high or keep rising what do we think they're going to be rising to and at what rate are they going to be rising and we'll use those kpis along with our our analytics to determine well, if interest rates rise to here if inflation stays at these levels this is the additional profitability we'll make and then we're going to take that set of numbers, um, the results of all those KPIs, and this is critical. We're going to convert them into scenario-specific action plans. We don't just want to have a numeric plan. We want to make sure that we know this is the physical action we will take if that scenario occurs. The middle of a storm is a horrible time to argue over what the crew should be doing. So we're going to get those arguments out of the way ahead of time. And then it gets into kind of performance management and the analytics side. Once we have those scenario action plans, we need to find out what situation we're in before the great big wave comes to hit us. So step six for us is monitoring and evaluating performance. And then step seven is we're going to be willing to adapt. Uh, there is no battle plan that survives engagement with the enemy. The outside world is going to interfere with what we are doing. So when a scenario becomes no longer viable, we're going to discard it. We're going to do some greater analysis and say, this is the new set of scenarios we should be planning for. So in summary, the seven steps, one, define our uncertainty planning framework. Number two, identify our key performance indicators. Number three, brainstorm our scenarios and group them. Number four, plan scenario-specific KPIs. Number five, create scenario-specific action plans. Number six, monitor, evaluate performance. Number seven, be willing to adapt. And if I could add a number eight, profit. Good, that's, that's, that's the key uh, lagging indicator. So, <laughs> and you know, that, that sounds uh, like a very well-formulated plan and reminds me of PACE's Profitly Analytics Framework because that's a strategic management framework. and looks at strategy formulation, validation, execution, which is exactly what you're doing in that. So you know, I would you know, look forward to perhaps implementing the framework at, at, at Argonne. Yes, uh, PACE is, is a, a critical aspect of what we're doing um, in terms of just being able to understand all the different aspects, move them forward, make sure we're actually executing. The framework that we are doing builds on top of PACE to make it a bit more Argonne specific but it wouldn't exist without pace. Yeah, well, that's, that's great to hear. We love to uh, support you in the, in the profession.
Uh, so Edward, the uh, profit analytics framework not only deals with uh, managerial costing, but revenue management and investment management. And I'm wondering what uh, your what Argonos doing in around the revenue management and investment management. Well, revenue is critical. It's the top line upon which the rest of everything relies. What we're trying to do is understand where where we're growing, uh, where we have areas to expand, what our ideal client set is. And part of that is really understanding not just, oh, we have this rate and we have this number of units, those are critical to, to managing our revenue, but really understanding what the growth possibilities are, which leads into the, the initiative, the investment side. We have been growing uh, by bringing companies into Argonome, and that's mostly inorganic growth. What we really want to start doing is figuring out where we can grow organically, what are areas for expansion, not just geographically, but service offerings. So we've done a lot of analysis on where revenue has been historically, where it's been changing very, very recently, and it's helped us to identify these are the type of organizations we want to go after to have join Argonau, but also these are the type of areas where we want to invest a lot of money internally. It's it's really been changing a lot in terms of you can't wait for your customer to come tell you this is what we need. You have to be providing a service before they even know that they need it. So going back to the, the artificial intelligence example from before, by the time that companies go, this is a critical service and do you offer it? You must already have to have a plan for that in place. So we, we use revenue management as kind of our treasure map. And the path that we take along that treasure map is our investments. The output of it all is profitability and growth. It's the, the X that marks the spot. Yeah, that's that's a great philosophy and approach to revenue management. That's what Steve Jobs have did at Apple, obviously, and what made, made them so successful. So that's a, a great approach. So I appreciate you taking the time to talk with me today. I know for the for our listeners, I think you spent what about thirty days in Plano, Texas. <laughs> and you're probably the most traveled person I know. So it's certainly great to, you know, catch you one place and talk with you. Uh, and, Absolutely. Uh, well, and today I'm actually coming from Denver, Colorado, because to your point, I, I'm very rarely um, off there in, in Dallas, Fort Worth. But it's a... Uh, the role of finance has also gone global. It was kind of one of those things that used to be sort of conducted at the at the corporate headquarters. Um, you know, maybe they get a portion of one floor and, and not give them very good lighting. And now it's it's a distributed role. Um, so going going back to my original point, if you were wound three years ago, a lot of my work was on site at a client and our people needed to be, you know, inside the boundaries of the United States, because that's where most of the client base was. We're able to have people now in 39 different countries because as long as you're able to exceed the client's deliverables, nobody kind of really cares where everyone's located. Um, matter of fact, they want to go wherever the best talent is, and that shouldn't stop within a certain number of miles of Plano, Texas. So yes, as, as much travel as I did last year, this year will we'll probably be more. Um, but happy to catch up with you, Rafe. It's really great to, to always talk profitability. Oh, well, thank you. And uh, safe travels. Thank you. Take care. Thank you for listening to our Leaders in Business podcast. To learn more about profitability analytics, check out the PACE website, join one of our interest groups, and follow PACE on LinkedIn and Twitter.